You're listening to Irish Radio Canada at home and abroad. And a few years ago, we chatted with James Lennon about the potless generation. Well, James has now brought out a new book, and it's called Leaving Galway. And uh, it chronicles uh, his transition from Galway to Meath and from there to Dublin for a while. And we're going to have a chat with James and hear what it's about and what, when, what inspired all this and some of the stories that are covered and the time that is covered. Uh, James, welcome to At Home and Abroad. Great to be here, Austin. Thank you very much. So um, since, since we last chatted and we talked about the Patlas generation, um, leaving Galway tra- is talking about a time, first of all, that uh, I hadn't realised that ran as late as it did because what you're talking about to start with is the land commission providing land to people from the west of Ireland who were on bad land to um, places in in County Meath and uh, outside of Dublin and uh, in as recent as the 60s and I suppose I shouldn't say as recent as the 60s it makes it makes it sound as if the 60s was only five years ago but that's really part of what you're talking about. Yes, well, well, we came up in, in, believe it or not, we came up in the 70s, which was even more recent. We, we'd have been the last, the last really to come up. And, and the numbers involved were staggering. I, I mean, I'm only finding out this myself in recent years. Um, there's an organization I joined. A, they're a festival group, but they do, they raise funds for charity and stuff like that. And, and they do a lot of things anyway, but but they're a crowd called uh, Scorlock Town Olympian, and uh, I couldn't believe how many people there were uh, joined that had come up more or less the same way as myself and back to the fifties, and and remembered it very clearly and had similar experiences to myself, and they're from all over, you know, but particularly from the west, from Mayo and Galway and Clare and that, so. So uh, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's, it, it was a big upheaval. The, the theory was, you know, when Cromwell said to Heller to Connacht and drove the people from the good land, the idea of that the government at that time was to reverse it, or so they said anyway. And uh, sure, we took the trip anyway. <laughs> Say what somewhat surprised me was how relatively recent that was, because you know the. Land Commission, as I understood it, and had kind of just taken it for granted, that in a way that resettlement program had kind of finished, I suppose, at the end of the 50s. But you're telling me it went right on into the 70s. And as you say, the whole purpose of it was to uh, give people land who had been marginalized and bad land in the west of Ireland. So you and your family made the transition. You left and you head, headed for Galway. When were you given your land? Um, well, we got it in, in, in the 70s, something. We came up in 1972. And, uh, we weren't too bad. My grandparents would probably have been sort of half and half Irish, Irish speakers and half English speaking, you know. But there were people who came up from Connemara that actually one lady told me that her parents had almost no English. And she had to go to school uh, to learn to speak English. And of course, in, in, in Meath, there was, and I don't know, is there still a Gwaltoch area? Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. And I, I've been down there a few times, yes. Right. 
And they and, still exist. And, and, and of course that would have been people from the west of Ireland who came en masse to a particular region and they were all Irish speakers. Yes. And more than the, more than just they come up, I mean, or maybe Galway has forgotten them. Or, you know, in, in Galway's case, or the West, or whatever. But they have not forgotten their origins. And many of them have kept rigid contact, and like myself, have made sure that their children visited where they came from, and got to know the people, and, you know, keep in touch with the relations, and stuff like that, you know. It's very important to people like us, you know, that we do, you know, remind our children and not forget where we're, where our origins lie. Because we all have a great affection for our, our birthplace and where we're from and the significance it has to us. And, and, and the, the events, the significance, this book is really, well, it's not just a book. It's, it's only a number of stories. There's three stories, I think, connected with it. But it's to to let people realise the significance these these this move had in our lives, and and that had not been forgotten in history. You know, it, it was a major event, and I mean, a lot of the the people uh, in uh, writers groups and in Scorlock Sound Libya and people that came up like myself, a lot of them actually bought the book and they. It was because of those stories, and it was very important to them. You know, I mean, when you're a Galway man yourself, Austin, so you you understand that you always have affection for your birthplace, regardless. Indeed, indeed. Now, James, the other thing was fascinating was that when you arrived in Meath, that the land that the government had um, acquired and were reallocating was land that had been part of estates uh, in and around Dublin. Yeah, yeah, well, well, what it was, was, uh, they, they said they were, they were, it belonged to the lords and ladies that, that were divided up, but I think that were, had been split up. Our, ours was actually just such an estate and was exactly from upper crust people that had left it or whatever. Uh, I actually met a, a, a fellow of English origins uh, quite recently who, whose family had land in Wicklow and they were driven out during the Troubles and then they came back again to claim their land. So so there was all sorts of um, all sorts of ways that that land was shifted around and regarding um, uh, it wasn't merely just uh, lords and ladies. What it was was that the government had a bank, a land bank, basically, uh, uh, of land that they were. It, it wasn't producing anything, and they didn't feel, with the times that were in it, they didn't feel that to be wasting land and not producing food and the like. Uh, I th- they thought it was rather stupid because they were trying to build an economy at that time. So obviously they figured that people that had to fight for a living in the Rock of the West and and Kerry and places like that um, would uh, maybe be inclined to push it a bit more. And that's more or less exactly what happened. Now, in later years, of course, uh, the children of these people were in uh, 
local football teams and played for Meath and all sorts of different things. Uh, so uh, we made our mark. And, and in fact, last year, the, the Rose was, uh, the Meath Rose, for the Rose really, was actually um, a, a daughter of one of the people that came up. Indeed, the lady that told me that she had to be taught English when she, when, when she came, came to Mead. So, uh, so they're making their mark. And now, James, of course, you came from around Kinvara originally. And yes. what part of Mead then were you given land in? It was in, not too far from Kilskir, uh, sort of on the road to, between Crossakeel and Kilskir. About two two miles from there. Which so is, actually, so sorry, which, I, I, which is where which is where for those who wouldn't know some of the smaller places in County Meath. Yeah, well, I, I suppose um, Kells would be the nearest big town. Okay, okay. So in uh, out in the hinterland of Kells. Yes, yes, okay. yes, yes. Indeed. So when you arrived, I know there was some. You had some trepidation, and you arrived somewhat. Um, with your belongings um, and not a huge amount of stuff and started to settle in um, I know there was a certain amount of trepidation arriving in a new area to find that you know you're the outsider and that represented some fear and concerns until you settled in yeah well well we weren't really aware that there was an awful lot of goings on to do with it and we weren't aware even until we actually saw it on TV. I don't know if you remember the situation. But we actually saw on TV about squatters being on the farm. We didn't even know it was our farm or what was to be our farm. And uh, they were local mead people, very roughish. Um, but they were, I suppose, not unreasonably saying that, you know, mead land should be for mead people. But in point of fact, I also found out that a lot of Meath people did get land as well at that time. And, you know, not just in Meath, but all over. But certainly I was aware of people who were actually given land uh, of their own that were willing to work it. So so it wasn't entirely a just accusation. But, uh, yeah, and we came up and there was, there was slogans written on the road and stuff like Largely, we were ignorant of, of what was going on. We weren't really clued in so much. And the council weren't mad to tell us exactly what was happening. You know, but it's a strange one. But uh, one thing uh, I'll say, uh, a story to do with the actual land. Um, I found out about the people, and, and I found out more about them from of late. I've forgotten a lot of it. But the lords and ladies that had it, the people that had whatever, the family, whatever, their son fell for a local girl, right? And um, the family didn't approve because she was beneath them sort of thing. So they decided to elope. And when they eloped, they decided to go to America. And what, what ship did they get on but the Titanic? And, of course, they went down with the Titanic. But it was the story of them was she couldn't swim and he could. Well, they had a bloody big swim pool in in the backyard, so obvious. And, and a walkway of upturned champagne bottles bedded in concrete to walk out to it from the house. So it was well to do. Anyway, 
So he got her and put her on his back and kept swimming till the two of them drowned. So that was kind of sad, wasn't it? It was indeed. It was indeed. So, James, before I move on to the, the choice you had between um, Finglas and Meath, what happened to the farm then in, in outside Kinvera? Well, what happened with it was um, it was divided up among the locals who were still there. And, and that was basically it. And, and, and I think there was even a piece that they forgot to change because it was, wasn't an important. It was a little field. But our name is actually still on it, believe it or not. Okay. So that's a, that's a strange one. Right. So when so, you were given the allocation, you were given a choice between uh, the suburbs of Dublin or County Dublin at the time, which was Finglas, or County Meath, and you selected Meath. But you subsequently moved to Dublin. We did. Well, that, that was really um, my mother's doing. The, the whole game plan, I suppose, was my father was retiring from the county council. He had been a foreman in the housing section, and uh, as well as a farmer. And, and uh, basically, my mother, I was the youngest of ten children, and my mother just wanted to be near the family, and particularly the daughters. You know, because obviously she was getting old and she had a great affection for her family, you know, and, and she showed it to us when we were growing up and she just wanted to be near them. She was in morbid terror of being, uh, them grow, them rearing their families away from her and herself and dad being left on their own on the farm, you know. So, so she wanted to be near to them and when Mead wasn't near enough for her, she moved to Dublin altogether. And we wound up living next door to Noel Purcell in Dublin. So <laughs> so that was a strange experience. So, and he was often in our house. A remarkable man. And, uh, uh, and uh, a great character. But... Uh, so you did, um, you, did you settle there? Or was that the, was, was that the end of the movement? Uh, yeah. Well, not for me, of course. But, but it was for them. You know, and they were, I suppose they were as happy as they could be, really. They were near all the facilities and the hospitals and the like. And they settled in. And, you know, because they were decent folks, they were accepted to a degree. You know what I mean? As much as you could be uh, coming in as an outsider, you know what I mean? But certainly, perhaps because the Mead people were farmers too, they were much more welcoming, you know. But for her, it was the family. I mean, me people were good to me. And for her, it was the family, the family, the family. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I suppose she had met, invested so much of her, her life in raising. I mean, you can imagine a family of 10 and then running a farm. You know what I mean? And she did run the farm while my father was working. And then my father would come home and they could work till 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning you know, cows calving or whatever, uh, you know, shoveling out stables, whatever is required really, you know what I mean? So so they didn't have a soft life. They would have had a very tough life. My father actually was born the year the Titanic sank, 1912. So uh, he saw the black and tans and, you know, he, he remembers them burning the houses in the middle of the night of those suspected of being in the IRA and stuff like that. And, you know, he'd have been a kid, but he remembered it well. 
and his own father died of the fever, along with an older sister. So uh, he didn't have an easy raising. You know, it was a tough all the way. And the same with my mother. You know, they had they had tough hard lives. And they, and I said to them one time, I said to them, you know, did you not think it harsh the lives you had? And my father said, but sure, he said, we didn't wonder at it. He said, at the time, nobody had it any different. And and, and that, was, that was it, really. You know what I mean? Yeah. He, yeah, yeah. he summed it up for them. You know what I mean? Right, right. So, uh, so I, I, they had interesting times. I have often thought about, I have some things written on their lives. But they had a hard old life, but I didn't get as far as doing it yet fully. I have it written, I have some written down, but I haven't been able to get it into a, a, a cohesive piece yet. You know right. what I mean? I haven't got, got to my satisfaction anyway. So moving along, you like, a, some of the, some of the chapters you have, you know, there's interesting titles there that jump out at you and the stories behind them, like the riot. Riot. That was in 1982, or 82 or 81, I'm sure. I think it was 82. That was the year Bobby Sands died. And the British Embassy was in Ballsbridge. And, uh, I mean, I was only a kid in school. I'd have been 18 or 19. And all I knew about politics was very little and nothing. You know? And, and uh, I, I was barely, I don't think I was, I was barely voting even. But, uh, The Sinn Féin and the IRA and all, they came and, the, and just people that were angry about what was happening. I mean, the, the hunger strikers were suffering terribly, as I found out as the years passed. You know what I mean? They were lying in their floors in their own urine and walls smeared with crap and dying on hunger strike for political, their, you know, to be treated as political prisoners and not um, as criminals. Which really, really, they weren't. They were, like, if there wasn't, if there wasn't a political situation, most of them would have just, a lot of them would have been just reading ordinary, respectable lives, if there's such a thing. And uh, so they came to Ballsbridge to protest in their droves. And uh, by God, did they protest. And they nearly, they nearly tore Ballsbridge apart. And, and then all the heavies and the police arrived and all the, with their riot gear and all the, uh, Irish, Sinn Féin, whatever, they arrived and all hell broke loose and they literally tore down walls and railings and there were stones flying and oh, it was madness and then they, of course, they did actually set fire to the British Embassy. Uh, someone did get past the police. Um, there was a delegation went through and, I mean, in an affluent Dublin suburb at the time, People were well insulated from, and, and indeed indifferent, mostly, from the troubles in the north. And I suppose, in a way, it was wrong, you know, that that people should be indifferent. When people in the, nor- in the north, only across the border, formerly our country, were prepared to die for what they believed. And they were. You know, but again, I didn't know any of this. Uh, and basically, when I first wrote the story, my thinking on it would have been different. And then I rewrote the whole thing again as I got to learn more about it. And I, I met 
actually hunger strikers. I did in, in, in subsequent years for a while join Sinn Féin and I actually did meet actual hunger strikers. And, and one of them actually, uh, a fellow called Fonzie, he died last week. And, uh, and he died in his 60s. No, a lot of them, they damaged their health in these hunger strikers. Like Gandhi, you know, he, he destroyed himself. Uh, I know he got shot in the end, but, it, but he messed himself up physically with, with, with uh, his fasts, you know, and his... He's not not hunger striker, but he he would have these fasts at the protest, you know, and so so uh, so ten fellas died, and it was you could understand the frustration of people, and it was very sad time, a bit scary, you know, especially for people like me that had no clue what was going on, and 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 there there was many riots everywhere, and I said to a fellow I knew who was involved in them, and I said, well, why do you always have to have violence? He said, this is the way it is, he said, if there's no violence added, the press won't cover it. And that's it. They'll just ignore us. So when we tried to do it, we were trying to do it peaceful for a long time, but they just ignored us. And, and that was their logic. So I suppose, from that point of view, their logic was correct. Now, Right or wrong is not for me to say, but I suppose they were getting desperate with the people dying and their friends dying and that. And it was a very hard time. Like I, I tried to talk to that gentleman that died last week about it once too often, and he he got snotty with me and and he didn't really want to go into it. And and, and a number of books like by people like Tim Pat Coogan and there was actually another book written by. Uh, the strikers themselves, that I read into them, and I, I you know, the more I, I learned, I, I, the more I said, oh, no wonder they were going crazy, you know, because it was, it was horrific times, and, and, and the North was a kind of madness in a way, with people killing each other, and, you know, like, uh, I am, um, in a marriage of mixed religion now. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I appreciate the difference between Catholic and Protestant, but I also appreciate the sameness. Right, right. Do you know, right. and, and, and uh, I actually did canvas in the North, and, you know, I don't know, I, I felt, I felt a need of, I felt there was, a, there was a misunderstanding and a need for us all to reach out. Now, I left all politics and I have no, <laughs> I've no no good words to say for politics mostly, but I suppose it's better than the alternative. Indeed. But uh, but uh, you know, we should be friends. I don't really care whether we join up or not, but we should be friends and not at each other's throats. And and there should be an understanding, not just between us, but between all all. Mankind, basically, and all working class people that we, you know, there shouldn't be this wars, this insanity of people slaughtering each other, you know, it should never go that far, you know, and, and a lot of it was orchestrated by people behind the scenes because it suited them. Mm -hmm. Well, James, we're so, going to have to wrap up there, I'm afraid. And um, the book is called Leaving Galway. And if you want to get your hands on it, where could somebody get their hands if they want to read all the 
the detail and get the full story, where can they get their hands on the book? Yeah, I'm sorry for waffling on there. Um, uh, it's it's on Amazon. It's on CreateSpace. And, and if you want to contact me or on Facebook or uh, my email is uh, my email is also uh, James Lynn, a capital J, at gmail.com. Sorry, James Lynn, 48, at gmail.com. Sorry. Okay. Well, James Lynn, um, I'm grateful you took the time to have a chat. And uh, I've been enjoying the reading. And... Uh, it's certainly, as I say, I found it educational as well as entertaining and uh, wish every success with the, the next one that you're working on. And when that's good and ready and out there, you know where to find me. Indeed, indeed. And thank you very much for having me, Austin. It was a great pleasure as always. You're listening to Irish Radio Canada and we've been chatting with James Lennon about his book, Leaving Galway at Home and Abroad.